being in Asheville and not, I mean, obviously, if you've had any conversations with people in Asheville, people really are receptive to the idea of Jesus. Like, and one of the things that I, I have seen in conversations with people is their love for Jesus's ability to tell stories. Like, they love that. They, they may not agree or think that he died on a cross or that he rose from the dead, but they like the idea that Jesus uses stories to communicate. Like, if you were to talk about the Good Samaritan, that story has been broken down by people who are non-religious, irreligious, rebellious, don't like anything to do with church or Jesus. But the Good Samaritan paints a picture for many of us. Like, we've got, I get that. The prodigal son story, the lost sheep story. I mean, these are images that are burned into our brains. And for many people who are not religious, they go, man, those are great stories. They create a great visual. They create this idea that I really like to break down and discuss every little detail about. Jesus was an excellent communicator. Jesus, in this style of communication, he was actually fulfilling prophecy. Prophecy being something that was foretold, we see him fulfilling in his ability to communicate in this way. Now, at this point in the Gospel of Mark, this isn't the first time Jesus is going to tell a story or use an illustration, but it is the first time we get a more in-depth look at a parable. Uh, Jesus has already talked about the example of the wine and the, the, the new wine and the old wine skin, and he's given that illustration. He's given the old fabric, the new cloth illustration. He's actually, in a lot, uh, several weeks ago, we talked about the stronger man who breaks into the strong man's house, ties him up, and takes all of his things. The, Jesus is giving these illustrations that are burned into our head and our heart, but it's not the first time God has communicated in this way. Uh, in Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 2, Mark pays attention to something specifically about Jesus. He taught them by telling many stories in the form of parables, such as this one. Mark wasn't saying this because this was some new, new idea. Like, telling people stories. Like, Jesus is teaching everybody how to give the perfect TED Talk. He's giving all these ideas on how to tell perfect stories. This is incredible. No, this isn't new. In the Jewish culture, parables were a part of life. I mean, they were communicating truth through stories in this way. One of my favorite Old Testament illustrations of story being used is actually with David and Uriah. If you remember, David should have been at battle. He was not at battle, sitting on a rooftop, looking at this lady sitting out, bathing. He takes her for himself, and he actually plots and schemes and has her husband murdered. Thinks he's gotten away, from, away with this, and God's like... Nathan, I want you to go tell David a story. Now, see if you can figure out who the characters are in this story. 2 Samuel chapter 12. There were two men in a certain town. One was rich and one was poor. The rich man owned a great many sheep and cattle. The poor man owned nothing but one little lamb he had bought. He raised that little lamb and grew it up with his children. It ate from the man's own plate and drank from his cup. He cuddled it in his arms like a baby daughter. One day, a guest arrived at the home of the rich man. But instead of killing an animal from his own flock or herd, he took the poor man's lamb, killed it, and prepared it for his guest. Bum, bum, bum. David was furious at this story. Like, he was like, that is the most, that is egregious! That is the worst thing that could happen! I am angry, I am furious! And Nathan's like, you the dude, man. David's like, oh! 
not the first time story has been used to communicate characters that we connect to, people that we go, oh, I get that, I understand that. Jesus, when he communicated with parables, and I want to make this, this difference, is that it wasn't just about stories and characters that you and I relate to. Jesus, in his parable telling, often confused people more often than he gave them something to grab onto. Because parables, by their nature, and obviously Ms. Sue talked about the earthly story with a heavenly point, parables are not so much just about characters or storyline, but they are a tester of the human heart. They are a revealer of the human heart. And I'm not talking just about an intelligence test, like, did you get it? talking about our receptiveness to God's word in general. God, his word, his kingdom, and we see Jesus doing this on the regular. Now, let's just get to this parable, but I want you to, if you can, imagine. I want you to see yourself as one of the crowd sitting and waiting to hear this great teacher teach. Like you have heard, he's been raising people from the dead. He's been healing sick people. He's been teaching with great authority. And people are like, we've never heard anybody like this guy. I mean, this guy. He's telling us stuff we've never even heard before. And so Jesus begins to speak. Listen. A farmer went out to plant some seed. As he scattered it across his field, some of the seed fell on a footpath. And the birds came and ate it. Other seed fell on shallow soil with underlying rock. The seed sprouted quickly because the soil was shallow, but the plant soon wilted under the hot sun. Since it didn't have any deep roots, it died. Other seed fell among thorns, and that grew up and choked out the tender plants, so they produced no grain. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil, and they sprouted, grew, and produced a crop that was 30, 60, even 100 times as much had been planted. Then he said, anyone with ears to hear should listen and understand. That's it. You were in the crowd that day. That's all you got. The word of the Lord, my friends. Like, that's exactly what happened. And this is where my brain starts to go, what was it like in the crowd? Like, what were the people thinking? I, I mean, I can just see the guy just sitting out there going, hold on just a minute. Seeds? A farmer? What? This guy? What's he talking about? You get what he's saying? Do you get what he's saying? Do you, do you, do you know? Hold on. Wait a minute. He's giving us investment advice. Like now I know where I should put this, this money. To go. No? Okay. But then I can see him looking over and seeing somebody in the crowd like gripping their heart, looking at the, looking at the Lord and just grinning and smiling. And I can see him going, what are you grinning like an idiot for? What are you smart? What do you know? What is he? He's telling us how to farm. Was he a farmer? Is Jesus a farmer? He's talking to us about farming. He's not even a farmer. Oh, parables are hard. Like, I can totally see the crowd just disagreeing and arguing and fighting. And Wait, how many soils did he mention? Did anybody write this down? I mean, what are we supposed to do with this? And then somebody in the back going, well, he did say listen twice. He said listen. 
He emphasized that at the beginning of his story and at the end of his story, he said, here, what are we supposed to hear? And this, this would have been probably what you would have been sitting in. You probably would have been sitting among people going, I get it totally. But inside they're like, I have no clue what he was talking about. <laughs> but you want to appear that you do. Now, um, as much as I'd like to stop here and just walk off, <laughs> we have the rest of the text. It's beautiful that we have the rest of this one. I believe is not a coincidence, but I believe it was designed for us to have. God wastes no words. We have the rest of the story with us. Verse 10, later, when Jesus was alone with the 12 disciples and with the others who were gathered around, they asked him what the parables meant. He replied, You are permitted to understand the secret of the kingdom of God, but I use parables for everything I say to outsiders so that the scriptures might be fulfilled. When they see what I do, they will learn nothing. When they hear what I say, they will not understand. Otherwise, they will turn to me and be forgiven. Sounds crazy, but let's break it down. Like, I can just imagine the disciples sitting there with their moleskin journals and their pilot pens, just, mm-hmm, right, mm-hmm. Oh, my God, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm just going to keep nodding and writing because I have no clue what he's talking about. And then you got James over there typing on his iPad, clicking away with his black room glasses. Mm-hmm, Jesus, this is so good. I have no idea what he's talking about, but this is so good. And then when they were all together, I do wonder if Andrew was like, you know, uh, Bartholomew, he doesn't understand what you're talking about. So could you explain it to him? Like, could you let him in on what you were talking about? Because that's what we do. We just nod like we understand everything, right? But they had access to Jesus. And so they asked, and Jesus answered. And as Jesus was explaining this parable, he quotes from Isaiah chapter 6. And if you've been familiar with church life at all, Isaiah chapter 6 is that moment when this, this prophet has this encounter with God and he's like, I have seen the Lord and I am filthy, but the Lord goes, you know what? I'm going to touch you right on your lips. I'm going to cleanse you myself. It's a picture of the gospel in a very powerful Old Testament image. And then you have this Isaiah who's been cleaned by the Lord himself and he's going, uh, I want to do something. God, send me. And it's this beautiful picture. But if you keep reading... <laughs> You hear what the Lord tells Isaiah is going to happen. He says, Isaiah, you can go for me, but here's what's going to happen. They're going to hear you and not get a thing you say. They're going to see you do stuff, and they're not going to care. This is a result of how often they have hardened their hearts to my word. They are not going to see or understand, and things will remain hidden from them because of how hard their hearts have been towards me. That's tough. That's difficult. And so when we see Jesus stepping into this parable speaking, teaching style, we see people going, I don't get it. And it's a fulfillment of prophecies that were spoken hundreds of years before Jesus even walked on the scene. At the end of Isaiah 6, it does promise that a remnant, a remaining group of people will begin to get it. They will be welcomed in, they will be invited in, and they will be his. In Paul's letter to the Colossian church, we get a little glimpse as to why this. Because God is really about His revealed plan in His revealed time. 
And Jesus is that clock. We watch him and we see God's mysteries unfolded. In Colossians chapter 1, Paul says it this way to the Colossian church. He says, God has given me the responsibility of serving his church by proclaiming his entire message to you. This message was kept secret for centuries and generations past, but now it has been revealed to God's people. For God wanted them to know that the riches and glory of Christ are for you Gentiles too. If you're not Jewish, you're a Gentile. Outsider. We are outsiders. And this is the secret. Christ lives in you. This gives you assurance of sharing his glory. Paul also used the phrase in the, in, in the book of Romans, at just the right time, Christ came and died for us while we were still sinners. Like, why did God take thousands of years to reveal this? I don't know. We don't know. And any of us who say, we do know, we don't. But we know at just the right time, God chose to reveal Christ as enough. Jesus is that picture of rescuing and opening a door for Gentiles, for outsiders, to become insiders. But it was about his revealed time, not what everyone wanted Jesus to do right then and there. So when you read that phrase, you know, otherwise people will turn and be saved, like, yeah, that's the point, right? Not until it's fulfilled time. Jesus Life, death, resurrection, the mystery has been announced to you and I. We live in a time of mercy. <laughs> the door has been made open through Christ. Hallelujah, right? I mean, that's, those are those good moments, right? Those are like, yes! <laughs> like, he's done it! <laughs> the mystery revealed. No more guesswork. Invited home through what Christ has done. Parables have this strangely unique way of showing us our ability to believe what's being spoken, but also pointing to God being the one who enables that belief. Like, it's very strange, and I don't know how to necessarily have that complete and total conversation, but we see Jesus saying, listen up. Those of you who have ears, pay attention, listen. But we also see the desperate spot we're in for God to have to be the one to open our ears and the parable is just this unique way of the Lord doing that. And I don't get how it works. And, you know, I'm, I'm not super confident in any of those, those elements where I'm sitting there. I do believe that the Lord opens the door. But I also see Jesus saying, be careful how you listen. Be careful how you hear. Then Jesus takes this pay attention to a, a, another level in verse 13. Then Jesus said to them, if you can't understand the meaning of this parable, how will you understand all the other parables? This is a gateway parable, y'all. <laughs> I'm serious. Jesus is saying, if we don't get this, we won't understand any other teaching that he gives to us from the Lord. You can see why I would say it'd be a tester or a revealer of the heart. Because see, what happens is we do see in Scripture, it says, do not harden your hearts when you hear his voice. So there is an active role that we have in this process. And you and I can be responsible for letting our hearts harden towards whatever God is saying. And so Jesus, in, in the word of God, says, don't let it happen. Because what happens when we do is, number one, we will understand less. But number two, we will care to understand less. And that's even more of a danger. 
when we find ourselves not understanding, you know what we get to do? Ask questions. But when we don't care to understand, there's a deeper, harder heart issue that's going on where I don't have an interest in understanding the things of God. That's when we are in a dangerous place. And why Jesus would say, listen up. Those of you with ears to hear, listen, hear, pay attention. How your heart hears this parable is a determiner for how we hear every other word spoken by God. You and I, if we choose to push this away, reject God's word continually, we will find ourselves doing less accepting of God's word and more debating about, arguing about, having conversations about, but never applying to our lives. And this is a very dangerous place for us to be as believers. The soils have everything to do with our reception to all of Jesus' teachings. Thankfully, because this is a gateway parable, we have an explanation. Thankfully, that if this is the parable of all parables to kind of help us know where our hearts are, Jesus didn't leave us grasping at straws. He actually explains it. Verse 14, the farmer plants seed by taking God's word to others. The seed that fell on the footpath represents those who hear the message only to have Satan come at once and take it away. The seed on the rocky soil represents those who hear the message and immediately receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they don't last long. They fall away as soon as they have problems or are persecuted for believing God's word. The seed that fell among the thorns represents those others who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life, the lure of wealth, and the desire for other things. So no fruit is produced. And the seed that fell on good soil represents those who hear and accept God's word and produce a harvest of 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. So often you and I have asked, and I know I've said it a billion times, man, how is it that the Pharisees just didn't get Jesus? How is it that they didn't hear him? I mean, I've asked the question about the disciples. How is it the disciples just fail to get it over and over and over? How is it that Jesus' family didn't get him over and over and over? Closer to home, man, growing up when I was, you know, when I came to know Christ, like I would sit shoulder to shoulder with guys and hear the exact same truth from God's word spoken to us. Two totally different results in the room. I mean, have you ever had that thought? I've had that thought. Like, God's word's going out. Why isn't it automatic on how it's received? Why isn't the result the same in every single person that hears God's word? And the answer is because all of these soils are present. And the one constant is the sower is sowing seed. His word continues to go out. His word continues to be flung. And see, this is where what we'll do as people is we'll, well, that farmer's stupid. Why doesn't he just throw it in good soil? Really? We would say that? We do. We try and blame the farmer. If you would just throw in good soil, then everything would be great. Are you good soil? Were you good soil? Were you good soil? (laughs) 
Like, I'm sitting here going, really? Like, is this, is this what we, we want to blame the farmer? No, actually, the common denominator among the soils is that they all hear. The farmer's just throwing seed. He keeps doing it, and he's generous. It's interesting, in the Old Testament, Ezekiel is, a, is an Old Testament prophet, and the Lord says, hey, here's what's going to happen. I'm going to send you, and I'm going to send you to a rebellious people. They ignore my ways. They reject me over and over and over. And it's not to some pagan foreign nation. It's actually to my people. So when you go, here's why I'm sending you. Starting in verse 3 of Ezekiel chapter 2, Son of man, he said, I am sending you to the nation of Israel, a rebellious nation that has rebelled against me. They and their ancestors have been rebelling against me to this very day. They are a stubborn and hard-hearted people, but I am sending you to say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says, and whether they listen or refuse to listen, for remember, they are rebels. I love how he just keeps throwing that out there. At least they will know they have had a prophet among them. It was about the condition of the soil and it being fertile and good. None of us chance can't blame the farmer the farmer is constant his word is going out in the new testament jesus said that god lets the sun rise on the good and the bad and he sends the rain to the just and the unjust what we know about the farmer is that he simply throws seed but we also know when god's word goes out is that there are four types of soils all around. You have the footpath, the rockies, the thorns, and the fertile spots. Now God's word is constant, but the operation on our hearts from his word is not automatic. But he stays constant, and he continues to put his word out. Now the footpath, I would say, is more of the meh. the heart that goes, you know what, I don't really care about anything that you're talking about. I got my own things, my own stuff, my own wants. It's not really that important to me. I got video games. I got stuff that I can do. Takes its place. I'm just, I'm just clocking in, clocking out. Got my church time in. I'm done. It's the meh. Then you have the, the shallow, rocky soil. And if you've ever been in student ministry for any part of the world, You have what's called the summer camp experience, and it's when every kid goes, I cried that night, and that was the night I remember the Lord coming and invading my life. And then a week and a half later, they're like, what did we do last week and a half ago? What did we do? I cried, though. I was real emotional, so therefore I had to have an experience. It's just the emotional high. You know what? Jesus, I haven't tried you yet. Fix it. It's this, this idea, and that's why I think I get more angry at the bumper sticker that says, try Jesus, than any other Christian bumper sticker out there. And there are a lot of terrible ones out there. Like, it really makes me just want to floor it right into the back of their car and then be like, but you're saved, and Jesus paid it all. Now forgive me for ramming you. Like, the try Jesus mentality bothers me so much because I see people going, you know what, if he fixes it, he fixes it. If he doesn't, he doesn't. I'll try something else. 
We never see that invitation in Scripture. We see, come, die daily. Take up your cross. Follow me. Then we look at the thorns. And honestly, this is the one where I would say, I, I, I feel like I've wrestled here. I've been able to identify it quicker in my life. It's more of the interested in the gospel, but things are crowded in here, man. Like, I heard that, that Jesus loves me on Sunday, but man, I got my, I know what I want to do with my education. I want to know the, the person I want to date. I know this, I know the perfect this. I, I've got, I've got all these plans lined up and I really, 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 really love my plans. But oh yeah, I heard that somebody loved me. Wait a minute. No, maybe he doesn't love me. I can't remember what it was, but I love my plans and I've got all this stuff and all of these things are going on. So no fruit is produced. You see why? You know, several years ago, and I'm going to show you this video we made, um, sitting across the table from people on a regular basis asking you to help them journey through the voices that they're struggling with. We just decided to make a video that really points out the th why the danger of the thorny ground is so close to home. Sunday! You are loved. You are new. You are complete. You are not identified by your success or your failures. God bless you, brother and sisters. Monday! So you really didn't get all that you thought you should last week done. You anxious yet? This week's got an even bigger to-do list. Are you frustrated? You didn't get out of bed until nine. Good gravy. You should have gotten started a lot earlier. You know, when children break down in public, it's a sign of bad parenting. What kind of parent does that? You know, your to-do list, it's hit about a mile long. Feeling overwhelmed yet? Tuesday! Now that purchase, that was a bonehead move. I mean, did you really think you could afford that purchase? You are terrible with money. Terrible decision. How are you gonna take care of your family now? Guilty. That's all I can say about that. Worst decision ever made. Wednesday! Performance reviews are in. Not looking good, if I must say so myself. You know, the new guy down the hall doing twice as much work as you in the same amount of time. I asked you to do the job, and you did it subpar. Here's the par bar. Here's where you did it. Par bar, your performance. Par bar, your performance. You are replaceable. You ever thought about that? I'm going to need you to put some more time in this week. Say goodbye to the family for a little bit. You know, your job. It's the most important thing. Thursday. You're really gonna go out wearing that? 2012 called, they want their style back. Hey, you don't look like you've been going to the gym. You look really tired. How's that diet thing going? I mean, you don't look like you lost any weight. That gym membership, uh, wasted money? You really did eat that whole thing. I feel bad just watching you eat that. Friday. End of the week, accomplished nothing. Feels great, huh? Work's really piling up. Busy, busy, busy. Better not slow down or you'll die. Your attitude really stinks. How'd you like it if I talked to you like that? You failed to have even one moment of success this week. That's got to add up after a while. Saturday. Weekends here, be sure to put on that success face as you're out on that boat that you can't afford. I mean, everyone seems to be having a great time because they had great weeks, but we know differently about you, right? Be sure to keep up with the Joneses. They are way out in front of you. Fail, 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 fail. Oops, that thing you did last night? From now on, I'd avoid making eye contact with anybody, if you know what I mean. Sunday! You are loved. You are new. 
You are, hey, you, hey, you are complete. Monday. So you really didn't get all that you thought you should last week done. You anxious yet? Tuesday. Terrible decision. How are you going to take care of your family now? Wednesday. I asked you to do the job, and you did it subpar. Thursday. You really did eat that whole thing. Friday. End of the week. Accomplished nothing. Feels great, huh? Saturday. Be sure to keep up with the Joneses. They are way out in front of you. Sunday. You are loved. Hey. You're new. You. What? Stop. You are complete. You are made whole in Christ. Hey, stop looking around. You stop. Monday. Fail. Tuesday. Fail. Wednesday. Fail. Thursday. Oh, fail. Fail. Friday. Fail. Saturday. Oops. <clears throat> we titled that one 10,080 Minutes because there's 10,080 minutes in a week and the average person spends 20 of it hearing that they're loved by God. You tell me what, what's going to start taking over. What's going to start moving? What's going to start being what's in control and dictating how you make decisions and why you do what you do? The thorns are real. And the Bible says that they choke out any fruit that could be produced. But then Jesus goes on to describe the fertile soil. And it's those who hear and accept, hear and receive what God has said. That means that other things get set down. When somebody asks me, what does it mean to receive Christ? I mean, it means we put down all the things that we hold to as, as most important and we, we say, okay, God, you, you're giving me yourself, but I have to put these things down. You know, your teaching becomes more important than my teaching. Your ways become more important than my ways. Your thoughts become more important than my thoughts. Truly, the beauty of this producing a harvest is not based on a secret 20-step program. It's not based on cliff notes. It's not based on reading the right book. It's based on hearing and receiving. You know what that means? Children can hear and receive what the Lord says. Teenagers can hear. And yes, they can hear. I know they can. I've seen it. I've watched it. They can hear and receive God's words. Grown adults who are stubborn and set in their ways can hear and receive and produce a harvest. Senior adults can hear and receive and produce a harvest. The beauty of this is that it's not about us. It's that that sower continues to be faithful in throwing that seed. Truly the difference between the first three soils and the last is the posture of our hands. You know, I don't have any to-do list that comes out of this because Jesus really didn't give us one. <laughs> he didn't give us a to-do list. And he didn't shame anybody for the condition of the heart. He didn't say, shame on you, your heart is this way. He just says that they're there and they're that way. He doesn't even say to do anything because of the way of our hearts. But what I guess I can say is he does stress the importance of hearing. So keep putting yourself in a place to hear. Because when you least expect it, he may change the condition of the soil. And you may grab onto something and hold it dearly for the rest of your life. 
This is why we gather on Sunday mornings. It's why we gather throughout the week in small groups. It's why we encourage people to read God's word. Because who knows when the changer of the soil will shift your soil. Who knows when he will move and cause something in you to begin to just sprout up. And you're like, this is amazing. This is the greatest news in the world. This is, this is the most fantastic thing I've ever heard. But you've been sitting around it for 20 years. I know. And it's like it's new right now. Keep putting yourself in a place to hear. What we do with what we hear matters in the mind of Jesus, in the heart of Jesus. Because what we do with what we hear will send us on a trajectory of either dependency on him or dependency on ourselves. And we were made to live life with him. Now, as the band comes and closes, I want to encourage you with this. And I know you may be like, how is that encouraging? But if you're in the room and you're saying, I think I'm that rocky soil. I think I'm that rocky soil. Don't count yourself out. Because the fact that you can even diagnose your heart is sign of him at work. Jesus goes to the places that we cannot. And to be even to say the words, I am footpath heart, is evidence that he is pursuing you, revealing things that the world would try to keep covered. So please don't count yourself out if you're like, I'm not that fertile soil. The fact that you can even say that is him at work. At the end of the day, being in Asheville, and I have really wrestled with this because it seems like such a place that's so difficult. It makes me go, Jesus, you need to add a new category to where seed is thrown. And that is on concrete. But the thing that always encourages my heart, and this is a weird little tidbit into my life, it's when you walk down the sidewalks in Asheville and you see the crack. And you see plants growing where they're not supposed to be. It's one of my favorite things. One of the most encouraging things to me is to know that that's how the Lord works. Because He keeps on sowing keeps on throwing the seed and it lands where it's not supposed to and produces a harvest in places you would not think possible. You know, we live in a city that proudly declares we are the cesspool of sin. And whether it's joking or owning it, that's half the battle. You know that, right? You know how hard it is to convince someone that they are in sin? We live in a city that's just declaring it. I am a, I am a cesspool of sin. The other side of that is seeing their great need for a savior. It's coming to a place where we know, man, I'm broken and I'm busted and we live in a city where people are readily admitting that. And there's a savior that is standing by, generous to save. Generous to save. That's why I love where we're at. As hard as it is, as many days as you feel like, man, this is just all for naught. We might as well shut down and turn inward and do, as Jesus said, let our love grow cold. 
couple weeks ago, a couple months ago, we just started praying a simple prayer in that little room over there in that front room on Fridays. And it was a prayer that Jesus asked his followers to pray. And I just want to read it to you. It's in Matthew chapter 9. Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, The harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his field. I believe that this and the soil story can be directly connected because if we're praying, Lord, send workers, that means he's changing the soil of the hearts. If we're praying, God, send workers and people who go, you know what, above all else, I have been loved well because of what Christ did on the cross and I don't care about anything else except people also knowing that they have been pursued by Christ. That's what I'm going to do. That's a soil change. So we're going to join Jesus in praying, Lord, send workers. Thorns don't seem as big. The weeds don't seem as big. The footpath doesn't seem as hard. When it's understood all that has been done to us, we extend to others in Christ. So this, you know, before we worship, I do just want to lift up those families who are going to walk this tragic road of loss. You know, as Tim was saying, the number was about 50 had lost their lives because of this mass shooting. And it was in a community that unfortunately could be labeled horribly wrong by the church. There will be churches that suggest judgment and all of these things coming because happened in a gay nightclub. And my prayer is that you will not succumb to that understanding, that you will not succumb to believe that somehow they're worthy of judgment and we're not. It breaks my heart to think that this would be an opportunity for churches to build walls instead of bridges. And so for us, as believers, understanding that we have been loved well fuels us loving others well, even if they disagree with you, even if they don't think like you, act like you, talk like you, walk like you, we are loved well in what Christ has done. And so we are going to pray for these families we're going to pray for the loved ones who, have who are going to have to walk the loss of a son or a daughter. And I actually feel like we need to pray for protection against stupid religion for some of these people. Because they will hear hurtful words coming from churches that don't understand all that's been done. So if you would, as this team leads us in singing, would you please just pray where you're at, or you can grab people with you, and you could just pray for what is going to be the recovery process. What does the road look like for these folks who have no clue that this was coming? None of us did. So as the body of Christ, we are going to ask for his mercy 
We're going to ask for his comfort. We're going to ask for his peace. And above all, we're going to ask for his glory. Because as Christ followers, we desire people to see him as most glorious over all things. He doesn't waste anything. Father, I'm asking you on behalf of the life that has been lost to come close to the brokenhearted. I ask that your people will be active in building bridges simply because you have built a bridge. Pray for the the churches in Orlando that will have an opportunity to love well. I pray their hearts would break. And I pray that the heartbreaking would, would cease any finger pointing. You are a God who pursues people who don't know that they're even being pursued. And the constant is your word is going out. Lord, we're asking for you to send workers, change the soil, may it produce a harvest. It's in your name we pray.